Welcome to Education Beat. I'm Ann Vasquez, CEO of EdSource. Thousands of community college students across California made the choice to leave school in recent years. The pressures to take care of family and work to meet rising living expenses were too great. During the coronavirus pandemic, California's community colleges saw hundreds of thousands of students exit its doors. Since 2019, the state's 115 campuses have lost about 300,000 students. I kind of had no choice but to work, um, full-time work as well. It really was a struggle to balance the both. During that time, I had to unfortunately choose work over school. What are colleges doing to stop the exodus? And what effect will the loss of thousands of students have on the state? Here is this week's Education Beat. Filling in for host Zadie Stavely is Ashley A. Smith. When David Tejas enrolled as a freshman at Los Angeles County Citrus Community College in fall 2020, he was immediately drawn to health classes. I was planning on majoring in for registered nursing, but I did take a kinesiology course and I actually kind of got really um, attracted to that class and that whole like, I guess how that class works. And I eventually did switch my major to kinesiology. But David was juggling school and work. He'd kept his high school job at Raising Cane's Chicken Fingers and would attend his classes online every day before starting a work shift. It was a high school job, and I didn't think much of it because I was planning on, you know, maybe focusing on college more. But, um, you know, that's when COVID started, and fast food workers were considered as essential workers. David's shifts were fixed. He would work with the afternoon crew from 3 p.m. to 10 p.m., And he said that the fast casual chain wouldn't allow employees to switch shifts during the pandemic. I couldn't work in the mornings or I couldn't close. So I was kind of stuck like in the afternoons. And like if people got sick or if people got hurt, we couldn't like take people either. So it was really complicated when people had to maybe call off or they're sick. So I was kind of somewhat not forced, but I was obligated to kind of work or make up the work from other people. David worked his typical shift while also maintaining a full-time course load studying nursing and later kinesiology at Citrus College, where he participated in the college's Promise program, which covers tuition for full-time students. We had to uh, be a full-time student to get like that uh, Promise, um, the full, like the paid for classes. So I was taking math, English, And I was taking the kinesiology class at the time, so I was taking maybe like 12 to 13 units. David would often come home around 11 p.m. after work to clean his home and take out his dog before starting classwork. So I was probably doing homework like around 11.30 at night. And if it's a lot of homework, I would have to finish like a one, almost like like around one o'clock in the morning. So my day was definitely, physically I was tired. So, you know, coming home mentally, I'm like, oh, I have to do homework now. So I was just mentally and physically, I was just kind of balancing a lot, honestly. And David wasn't just supporting himself. He helped support his mom and two younger sisters. That was a lot of pressure on my mom to, uh, you know, financially. She works at a grocery store as well. So there's nothing wrong with that, of course, but it's not the highest paying job, of course. So um, as the oldest uh, child and brother, it was my obligation to uh, help and support my mother as well to pay for food, or maybe just the simple needs, of course. Ultimately, David found working and going to school unsustainable. It was really physically and mentally, it's just draining. 
So my both work life and my school life were affected because, you know, going to work, I'd be tired. And for school, I would be tired because I was up at two, one in the morning doing homework. So without trying to stress myself out, of course, I kind of decided to make that call to say that I just I can't I can't really do both at the same time. Honestly, that first semester, I only lasted maybe three to four weeks, maybe. It was it was a really tough time. This is Education Beat, getting to the heart of California schools. This week, the community college student exodus. David Tea's decision to leave Citrus College was like thousands of other community college students in the last few years. Like so many areas of life, the coronavirus pandemic upended the California community colleges. Often described as California's engine of opportunity, the 115 physical colleges saw historic enrollment losses. Even as thousands of classes shifted from in-person to online, when faced with making ends meet or helping family, the choice for students often meant leaving school behind. My colleague Michael Burke teamed up with Los Angeles Times reporter Debbie Trong on a story about this historic enrollment decline. I sat down with Michael to get more insight into the data and to learn what the community colleges are doing to bring back more students. Hi, Michael. Hi, Ashley. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. You and Debbie Chong worked on an excellent piece examining the enrollment situation in the state's community colleges, which I understand has been plummeting for a while now. What exactly is happening? Yeah, so what we've seen is that, to your point, that enrollment really has plummeted. Um, it really started in that first semester of the pandemic, spring 2020. And within that first year after the pandemic started, the drops were really dramatic. Um, but we've kind of, since the pandemic has gone on, we've kind of seen it slowed down a little bit. And actually, as of this fall, a lot of the colleges have reported that their enrollment has finally leveled off. And in a few cases, actually have seen their enrollment start to increase um, just a little bit. So it seems like they're they're past the worst of it and now are trying to figure out how they can recover and, and try to get their enrollment somewhere back close to you know where they were before the pandemic. Did you find any enrollment trends um, regionally? It was really clear in our analysis that it really affected the entire system. So there were, you know, small colleges in rural areas like rural Northern California, for example, um, College of the Siskiyous, which is really far north. They lost 44 percent of their students during the pandemic. So that was obviously very dramatic. But then there were also really steep declines in very urban areas like here in Los Angeles, where I am. Uh, they the district as a whole, the Los Angeles Community College District, you know, the biggest district in the state, lost 28% of their students with one of their colleges losing almost a third. So um, some colleges lost more than others, for sure. But in terms of regionally, I think we really saw the entire state impacted pretty dramatically. And what about demographically? Did you notice anything by race or gender? Yeah, so again, really every across every race, age, uh, gender, students were impacted, but there were some differences um, like across uh, racial and ethnic groups and enrollment of, of black students and Native American students declined at the highest rates, um, followed by, I think, Latino and, and Filipino students. And then also 
uh, more men left. So especially like black men, Latino men, they, they declined at high rates. But because the uh, system enrolls more um, women, there actually were more women in terms of the raw number who dropped out. Um, and then when it came to age, uh, older students declined at the highest rates. Um, they lost about a third of their oldest students who are aged 55 and older. You and Debbie spoke with students on the ground about their decision to leave college. What did you learn from them? In our interviews with students, we definitely heard one of the big themes was um, students prioritizing work. Um, I talked to one student who actually left because he wanted to pursue uh, an acting career, which he thought was just more in line with what he wanted to do than college was. He kind of felt like for him, and he feels like for other students at his generation, um, that maybe college isn't the best option for him. But then other students, yeah, it was just sort of a matter of having a difficult time balancing work with with, uh, college. But then also there's been surveys that have been done by the RP group, um, which is a nonprofit research center that really focuses on the community colleges. And and they they found that too, just in their surveys that um, I think it was about one third of them either dropped out or didn't re-enroll um, because they needed to prioritize work. And they also found that um, a pretty significant percentage uh, needed to prioritize taking care of family during the pandemic. For many of these students, it was a difficult choice. Not only did it mean putting their futures on hold, but there was the stigma of being a quote unquote dropout. Here's David Tayus. You know, I I was afraid. I, I even did. I did talk to my parents about it. Um, I was like, hey, mom, like, or, and also, I don't live with my father, by the way, but uh, I, I do talk to him a lot. And, um, you know, I was like, how, you know, how would you feel if I maybe took a break or like, I just, I don't want you guys to, I don't have to be ashamed, you know, like of, oh, like, well, he's not in school and, you know, stuff like that. They were both on board with it. I think they kind of both knew that um, this is kind of a time period where I should help out financially. So, you know, I wasn't as uh, embarrassed, I guess. So that's kind of that kind of helped me getting their approval helped me make that call to uh, temporarily take a break from school. As a nonprofit organization, EdSource depends on donations and grants to sustain our quality journalism. We rely on listeners like you. Between now and December 31st, EdSource has a goal to raise $100,000 to support our journalism. Make your donation today at edsource.org. Michael, this sounds like a big deal for the community colleges, especially financially. How does this impact their financial outlook? Yeah, so it's definitely a concern that a lot of colleges have. The colleges are funded largely, not solely, but largely based on their enrollment. So uh, a lot of them would be facing, you know, pretty significant funding declines associated with their enrollment declines. But right now they're in this hold harmless period. So basically for the next few years, they're going to be funded at their, I think, their pre-pandemic levels. So they haven't faced any declines in in terms of their state funding. But there is that concern because in a few years, in 2025, that hold harmless period is going to go away. So if their enrollments don't, you know, go back up or they drop even more, they are going to be facing what a lot of people have kind of described as a fiscal cliff, which could, you know, uh, affect things like the services that they offer to students and, and also, you know, the amount of faculty that they can employ. So, It could be pretty dramatic for the colleges, uh, you know, a few years from now. 
So could this hold harmless period be extended? Is it something where um, either the governor's office or the legislature would have to intervene? Yeah, and they have extended it um, a couple times now. So it's possible they could extend it again. Uh, But as of right now, it's supposed to be going away in 2025. But obviously, that's a few years away. So they have plenty of time to possibly extend that further. Are there any other uh, domino effects that this type of loss has on the state or could have on the state? Yeah, especially for the Cal State campuses, their enrollment relies pretty significantly on transfer students, and they've already started to see pretty significant declines um, in terms of the students transferring from community colleges. And that's also true for the UC, but to a lesser extent, just because they they make up fewer of the population at the UCs. So, yeah, I mean, it's pretty significant for the state. You know, it affects the number of students who are you know, on their way to get a degree and then enter the workforce. So, yeah, there are definitely much bigger implications than just, you know, the community colleges themselves. And is there anything that the colleges are doing to encourage students to stay, recruiting new students? Yeah, there were a few big trends. I think we talked about the uh, online classes, sort of keeping those in place. Also, bigger focus on dual enrollment. Um, We've seen big increases uh, in dual enrollment across the state. Um, And then also, Uh, Another big trend was a lot of colleges um, expanding or prioritizing career training programs. You know, a lot of students, um, especially older students, are interested in upskilling, you know, learning new skills. Um, So a lot of the colleges have, you know, at least in our reporting, told us that they've seen increases in uh, their enrollment in those career training programs. So, Michael, will students return to the community colleges? Will they come back in in droves anytime soon? Or um, do you suspect that it's going to take some time for the colleges to to rebuild their enrollment? Yeah, I actually spoke with Larry Galizio. He's the president of the Community College League of California, which basically works with college presidents across the state. And so he talks to a lot of presidents at colleges across California and Uh, His quote was, they think they hit bottom, but all of them say it's going to take time to get the students back. And there's no way for us to predict how long it will take. And so I thought that quote kind of did a good job sort of summing up where the colleges stand and sort of what the future looks like for them. As Michael mentioned, some of the colleges are already starting to see their enrollment numbers improve as students, albeit slowly, choose to return to school. David Taya's story doesn't end with him choosing work over Citrus College. In the fall of 2021, he went back to school to continue studying kinesiology. Things were starting to calm down a little bit. Um, and then eventually my, my mother did get a promotion at work. So, of course, I mean, I'm, still, I'm currently still at the same job. So I'm still providing. But at the same time, though, um, I eventually knew like I had to get back into, you know, school. I couldn't just, you know, work and... So I have to know my limits as well. Like, I can't be away too, too long, of course. It's an appropriate time to go back. So that's when I decided to make that call to go back. So I'm I'm working a little bit less now. So I am, um, as I mentioned, I am somewhat like a little bit, quote unquote, behind in terms of like graduating and stuff. So I'm going to be a full-time student, like during the fall and spring semesters for sure. In order to make school work, David had to change his work schedule. Monday through Thursdays is... Uh, Mostly strictly for school, you know, because I definitely do want days and I do want time to to work on homework. I'm not trying to do homework at, a, you know, 11 p.m., 1 a.m. in the morning anymore. So um, I definitely do have Monday through Thursday strongly for school and homework, of course. And then uh, Friday and the weekend is for the most part uh, for work as well. 
and sometimes to do homework if I really need to. David is now feeling optimistic about school, and he hopes to become a physical therapist. Uh, yeah, that's definitely my goal for sure. Taking a break from school was a hard choice, but David now sees it as the right one. Honestly, um, I don't want to say I regret it because uh, I had to work and help financially, but I kind of did wish that, like, you know, I wanted to continue my academic career. And, you know, because of it, like, I, I am, like, behind a little bit. Not, like, crazy a lot, but, uh, like, I, some people I know who did stick with in school, like, they would be graduating pretty soon. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Education Beat, Getting to the Heart of California Schools, a production of EdSource. You can find the story by our reporter, Michael Burke, and Debbie Trong of the LA Times at edsource.org. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. Special thanks to our guests, David Tayas and Michael Burke. Our CEO is Ann Vasquez. Our theme music is from Blue Dot Sessions. This episode was brought to you by the Stupsky Foundation. I'm Ashley A. Smith, sitting in for Zadie Stavely. We'll be off next week, so please join us in the new year. And subscribe so you won't miss an episode.